Two very interesting people with us. This is left, right, and center. Normally, our protagonists are Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz. Jeff is in court today, and he's uh, sent along a colleague, and no stranger to this program, Andrew Bolter, who's been here a number of times. And nice to have you back again. Thank you, Jim. Um, I'm going to, guys, if you don't mind, I want to... Uh, I want to kind of pick your brains, and I'm not sure that there is a left-right center on this issue, but we'll find out. Earlier today, a, a, a woman caller phoned and was incensed about the story out of Toronto about the people sicking their Rottweiler on a blind man and the dog doing some very serious damage to him. Um, and the lady called and made a point that's been made before on the program, that, that we, as a society, maybe have moved too far towards individual rights. She said, these guys will be screaming about they want their rights and they want this and they want that. And uh, I think I forget exactly what she thought should be done to them, but it wasn't pleasant, whatever it was. Um, and it got me just to kind of thinking about this whole issue of individual versus collective rights versus responsibilities versus the society's right to be protected from, uh, from those people who refuse to adhere to the rules of that society, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I'm, I'm hoping this morning that maybe I can get your thoughts on this and, and see where we go from there. But Bob, I would start with you, maybe with the question, have we had, because maybe we haven't, have we had too great an emphasis on expanding individual rights at the expense of the right of the collective to be protected? I would say exactly the opposite. Um, since especially 1982 when we got our Charter of Rights and Freedoms, the emphasis has been placed on the collective right, which, which many people falsely presume to be an individual right. Um, and like in this case here, I don't even know why someone would say we've gone too far towards individual rights. What they're really saying is that they're concerned that our justice system will not meet out the proper punishment to fit the exactly, crime. Yep. Well, that's a collective issue, not an individual rights issue. The, the standard of individual rights would demand that not only would this person be responsible for any damage he caused to, this, to, to his victim, I mean, he'd have to pay for the rest of his life for that as far as an individual rights court-based system would be. But you see, under collective rights, we believe that we have this massive collective social responsibility and that the behavior of certain individuals is a societal problem and that society put that on. And that's why people think it's an individual right that we're talking about, but it's really not. It's the collective effect upon a particular individual case. Andrew, I ask you, what, what do you think about that? Well, I think uh, what we've, I mean, it's the hackneyed phrase, but... Uh, it's uh, it's it's a true one. My right to swing my arm ends where your nose begins. So uh, you know everybody has individual rights, but we live in a collective, and I think that there's always going to be a balance. And we have swung, I would agree, towards the individual side. And uh, we're seeing it in the business world. We're seeing it uh, in personal life everywhere. And I think it it comes down to uh, what kind of a, a model our societies are built on. And in Canada, we seem to cling to the American model, the myth of frontierism, the myth that somehow uh, the man went out and conquered nature, and that's American history, which isn't true, incidentally, because uh, basically the, the natives protected the, uh, the first settlers and, and helped them. And then eventually, once they got their foot in, in the door, they kind of took over the, the Europeans. So I think, uh, you know, it's, it's a huge question, and um, my view is uh, individuals flourish best within a collective where the collective rights are protected. Well, let, let me give you a specific to, to both of you and the kind of thing that this woman is talking about, I think. We have all seen uh, on TV shows, if not in real life, situations where, where 
perpetrators are let go. They walk because some nitpick in in the criminal code or some you know something that to the to the uninformed or un, uneducated in a legal sense observer you would say well that's ridiculous I mean so what if this little thing was wrong or wasn't done properly or the proceed, police procedure was off a little wee bit the guy still did it and he should pay the price and many people see these kinds of programs or indeed hear about these uh, things in in the media and so on and I think at, that's a point where they're saying you know the rights that that individual had that allowed him to get away with that crime because his rights, his quote, rights were infringed in some little way, that it's ridiculous for us to do that. Andrew, is there any way we can protect the individuals within the collective without insisting that those rights be protected down to the nth degree? Absolutely, and uh, the way the collective works, the way society works, is we, we develop community standards. And in theory, our justice system is supposed to, to follow those community standards. And, and uh, judges do talk about that. What is the community standard in terms of lap dancing? What is the community standard in terms of, of uh, you know, violence? That kind of thing. And, you know, the problem comes where the community standard and the judicial system do not uh, kind of go together hand in hand or walk together. Uh, the other problems occur when, when you have procedural issues too like you know everyone has a, a right to be treated as an innocent person until they've been proven proven to be guilty and you have to have protections in place to make sure that uh, we don't allow innocent people to go to jail let me give you an example though the kind of thing that frustrates a lot of people uh, a policeman sees a car being operated erratically um, pulls over the uh, occupant of the car something suspicious going on here conducts a search of the car uh, improperly under the law finds evidence of a serious crime evidence that uh, you know if it were admissible would lead to the conviction of this individual and perhaps solve a serious crime uh, but the evidence is ruled inadmissible because he didn't follow all the rules to get the evidence now a great many people look at that and shake their heads and say come on they got the evidence they caught the guy he did the crime why is he walking Bob, I'll ask you, how did we get to a point where that happens? I think it comes down to the interpretation of the judge in a particular case and how he wants to apply a particular law. And, of course, those, those interpretations change as the political climate changes as well. But I, I have to address something much more fundamental, uh, which started with, Andrew, you saying that one person's right ends where another person's nose begins kind of thing. Well, that's an expression of individual rights. And, and I don't believe there is such a thing as collective right. I think individual rights are the foundation which forms the collective in a free society that we want to live in. I mean, an individual right is a collective concept. It's not a every man for himself concept. It expresses that very thing that Andrew said, that your rights end where someone else's nose begins. And the one big rule under such an individual right system is that no individual or government has a right to initiate force against any other individual or government in that society. Our rights are to defend ourselves, and that is the, the right to which we grant to governments through the people. That's mm -hmm. how governments are governed by, quote, consent. And that's the foundation of where it comes from. Um, uh, you know, individual rights come with responsibility. And to me, when we punish someone for uh, for breaking the law, uh, and, that, and to me that, that means a law that violates an individual right. Andrew, you talked about government standards and you compared lap dancing and violence in the same sentence. I, I think on the latter, yes, the government has a, 
has a standard to set, but on the former, if it's consensual behavior, no government has a right to make a standard there. And this is where collectivism comes in. Collectivism would say, well, no, we can, as a collective, ban this and create that, or ban drug use, or ban uh, a host of, you know, personal problems that people might have, but don't necessarily violate anyone else's rights. So uh, this is where I think the person with individual rights and the collective right would disagree, if, if I'm guessing right. Am well, I, Andrew? let's find out if Andrew disagrees. <clears throat> Well, if I understand you, you're saying that, that we have, the community or the collective has no right to, to prevent lap dancing if, if it's occurring in, in a uh, consensual way. Well, see, I, I, uh, I myself, my view is, I'll tell you why, because yeah. I myself would not as an individual have the right to go into anyone's home or place of business and go in there and observe some behavior that I wouldn't agree with, whether it's smoking pot or somebody reading porn or having sex in a position that I don't agree with. And I would never have the right in, an, in a rational society to go into that person's home and tell them that they have to live by my standard. No, now, absolutely not. Even if I have 51% of the community on my side who agrees with my standard, I don't believe I have that right. Therefore, how in the world can, in a free society, a government assume such a right when it can only act upon behalf of its citizens the rights to which we give to the government, that accrue to the government? If I don't have that right... No government has a right to do that either. But I do have a right to stop someone from using force or from doing violence to me or someone else. Well, I, I would, I would, you know, I think you're just drawing the line too far. I think, um, you know, we have to recognize that we live in a society where uh, there are standards. I, I mean, if you want to divorce morality completely from the legal system. Oh, no. Well, you know, when you use force, morality has been divorced from the legal system. For, morality assumes that people are allowed to make their choices good and bad and must okay well let's, you know, let's live say by the consequences what about child pornography child pornography child pornography you're dealing with children who have not reached an age of consent which is the fundamental issue here and therefore is an, is an absolutely abhorrent and illegal act i mean that's not even in the que a question here children don't have a complete accord of individual rights such as adults do they can't sign contracts under a certain age, they can't drive cars, they can't do a host of things because we assume that they cannot assume the responsibility uh, for those actions. So therefore, they don't really have the rights. Children have status, and that's why we have such a big problem with dealing with children in our society. Well, let me ask you this question, Bob. Should it be all right, or would it be all right under your regime? And I don't mean that in any, pejor <laughs> any pejorative sense, just, you know, what you're talking about. Mm -hmm. Um, would somebody be able to have a lap dance at the corner of Dundas and Richmond? No. Why not? Because that, that property, again, in a free society, property rights are, are the dividing line. Remember that where your nose ends, my Well, let's begin. suppose that they own a that store. Property. Uh, let's suppose they own a store close to Dundas and Richmond then, and they want to have, do a lap dancing in the window of their store. Not in the window, because that, again, is, is going out into the public property. Just as you as a neighbor have a right... Uh, not to have your neighbor turn his music up mm -hmm. too loud or, or run around naked in his backyard because that infringes on your right to enjoy your property. You see, we've invented all these rules a long time ago, but with the advance of collective rights, we forgot how the individual rights worked. 
And now we're lost and we're wondering why our justice system isn't working properly because we don't hold people individually responsible. Uh, like to me, to even argue so, some things like drugs made them do it or pornography made them do it or the devil made them do it is to excuse that individual from his actions. And that's why we should never place um, the cause of something or the responsibility of something on an object. It's always a person and a person who's acting. And therefore, same with the gun issue, you know, like, uh, do we have a right to own guns? Yes, we do, to the extent that they facilitate our self-defense or that we don't use them in a, in a initiatory, aggressive way. Um, Andrew, I want to come back to something you said earlier. You were talking about the judges being reflective of community standards, or in theory, they're reflective of what the community wants. I dare say that uh, there are an awful lot of instances, uh, because we talk about them on this program, where people are charged with a specific offense, convicted, sentenced, in a manner that, uh, that I personally find uh, inappropriate and will do, you know, all sorts of people will call and I'll talk to people on the street. The, you know, the classic one is the lady up near Wallaceburg who was drunk as a skunk and killed a family of four people and got three years and was out in 18 months or whatever it was. I, I don't think you could find a community in this country that would say that met the community standards for behavior and yet she walked and so do a whole lot of other people because of precedent and the legal system and so on um, how did we get to a situation do you think where these judges who are supposed to be uh, kind of uh, in, a, in a very real sense kind of the uh, the moral leaders of society in the sense that you know they represent what's best and brightest in that society etc 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 how do we get to a situation where many of the rulings they hand down seem to be so out of sync with the communities that they supposedly represent. Well, I think, I mean, it's a, it's a big issue, issue in how we choose judges. You know, um, a lot of judges uh, are not necessarily reflective of the community. I think if we, if we had a different system in place, uh, the system traditionally has been uh, lawyer, legal training, um, political connections, um, you know, mostly male, um, that's changing a bit. Um, we, we're seeing better judges coming on onto the bench, I believe. Um, I think uh, the problem is, if you're a judge, you're you're almost uh, after ten or fifteen years of, of doing that, you're almost separated from 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 society, as it were. You know, it, it's kind of you're living in a hermetically sealed kind of chamber. Literally. Well, that's that's been mentioned too. You make yeah. a lot of money. You dine at yeah. the best restaurants. Yeah. Uh, you never worry about uh, anything. You know, yeah. money-wise, you're not everything's taken care of and. You are kind of insulated. So in terms of sentencing, I mean, it's the judge that chooses the sentence. Juries don't do that kind of thing. Juries find guilt and innocence. So I think we have to look at the way we sentence. Um, you know, there's some native uh, justice uh, kind of concepts. You know, they have the, uh, what they call the, 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 the circle where, where mm -hmm. you know, your peers in the community will, will, will hear your case, judge you, and decide what's best to be done in, your, in the circumstance. Uh, I don't know the history of this woman in Wallaceburg, you know, I mean, uh, you know, maybe, maybe she was uh, an alcoholic, and alcoholism is a disease, and obviously she shouldn't have been behind the wheel, uh, but, you know, I wouldn't put her crime in the same order of magnitude as, as someone sticking a pit bull onto a blind man, I mean, that, that is evil, it crosses the line, and it should be dealt with accordingly, so it's a huge problem, we're going to get it wrong, I mean, sometimes uh, we're going to get it wrong, people disagree but 
in theory, uh, after going through a trial, and in theory, after getting a sentences re re sentencing report and maybe even a psychological profile of the individual, the judge is supposed to come up with an appropriate sentence. And it's an issue of, I guess, competence of the judges and the system. Bob, what do you think about that problem in society, that there does seem to be quite a distance in many cases well, between the judges and the, and the community standard? Well, I think it's largely because the community swings back and forth, and so does the pendulum of justice, but often a little bit behind the community. Uh, we once meted out far more serious uh, punishments for certain crimes, and the community decided, well, that didn't make sense to give a drunk driver the same sentence as a mass murderer who wantonly went out and killed people, because there's some point where the punishments all sort of meet the same level, and you just can't compare them anymore. Um, there is a difference in terms of a person drinking and driving and a person who's a, who's a wanton killer, let's face it, or a rapist or something like that. But... Uh, you know, unfortunately, I think we think too much in terms of punishment rather than in terms of consequences, which to me speaks more to an issue of justice. And as long as the public wants more revenge, we're going to get more of the punishment kind of approach than we are going to have the consequences kind of approach. Like, to me, if someone kills someone or does serious damage to them, I think they have some responsibility to them the rest of their life in some way, shape, or form, not to the point that we deprive them of their right to life or anything like that, but there's a lot of ways we can facilitate that. Usually uh, maybe taking some chunk of some person's pay for the rest of his life that goes to some victim crime fund. What do you do when you say, okay, I'm not going to work anymore, I'll go on welfare. I mean, this, this is the well, argument against what you're saying. Well, then he goes to jail. Okay. Yeah, so if you're not making the payments, you go that's to jail. Right. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, you have to be responsible, and if you can't be, well, then you pay that price, too. And it's, it's, that's an individualistic approach. You know, the collective approach sees a crime as being done against society, and therefore that re demands a punishment, whereas an individualist approach sees a crime being done against the individual who was the victim. And to me, that's what society's role is, not to be thinking in terms of crimes against society. That could mean anything under the sun. I mean, you could make an offensive statement and that could be regarded as a crime against society as it is in some countries as it is so we have to be very careful that the basic unit of any society is an individual and, a, and if you have a social system it has to be based upon what we are like i mean we all belong to different collectives and that's another problem with with collective rights is if you get into collective rights then you group people by by any category you might want to farmers plumbers <laughs> doctors lawyers teachers black white green you could pick any any possible category of person in any way you can define them and group them into one group and then say that this group qua group has a specific set of rights that override individual rights and that's what's happened in Canada today and happening around the world, all over the place. And that's where you will always find conflict. There's an interesting case, I don't know if you fellows are aware of it, in Quebec, where uh, I believe it's in Montreal, where the uh, Chinese community is challenging the Quebec language law um, because they don't believe that, uh, that the signs in their stores and restaurants should be subject to the same restrictions as English is under the French language law. And they're trying to make the case that we are a unique collective, Robert. Um, we occupy a very special place in, in, in this society, and we ought not to be subject to the same rules as 
English speakers, for yeah, example. And isn't that unfortunate that they have to take such an approach? I mean, you would think that the Chinese and English community would be working together on this one. But they have to, they have to appeal to a government that they know treats them as a collective and that if you identify yourself with the English group, you're going to be not part of that collective because they're the majority that's oppressing everybody, supposedly. I and don't quite understand what you mean. I mean, obviously... They are a group. I mean, you just say, well, you, you make it sound as if, in a scientific, being a in a metaphysical sense, no, but not no, politically. No, they're a political group. They're a society. They're a different culture. How you know? They're not individuals. There is a Chinese community that exists. Well, what universe. right does does a person who's Chinese require that that a Polish person doesn't need? No, a community requires some kind of protection for its heritage and it and its culture. Protection and from what? Who's protection it? to protect it from the dominant culture, and that's why the French—that's uh, the English-French issue—is about a, a culture and a society but, protecting but, itself. But so, people for you to say, for you, you to practice say, your culture, you're you're protecting no, it. If no. the government steps in and and stabilizes this this thing you call a culture, and 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 it becomes what, what, what's the government going to do? All it's going to be able to do is take money from one culture and hand it over to the other culture. No, That's the, the only the thing the government can do. can do things t to make sure that that different communities and cultures can exist and express themselves and flourish. Yeah, and I yeah, see they that have to in offer terms freedom. Freedom is the well, environment in the which group, they do that for the group. But uh, you know, I, I you know, it's all about balancing rights here, and um, I think. Uh, well, name me no, a right again. Name me a right that a Chinaman would have to balance against a person who's Polish. His right to have a sign up in his store in Chinese. Well, that's an individual right. No, it's a that's collective a, right as well. You see, you see, you see the world. You see the world can't have the right to put his sign up in Polish. I'm not saying that. I'm well, saying so he has the same right. So the English person has no. But has, does the English in the person context have a right of the French-English question, we know that that the French Canada, for whatever reason, felt their culture was at risk because they were a small, relatively small population in a huge continent, and their culture was being dominated by by the North American culture. Yeah, but in the Quebec, the French culture. culture is the dominant culture, and they are actually well, they felt threatened. Put, well, they feel threatened by the United yes. States and the rest of the world, who's all speaking English, not yes. by Canada. Well, well, and not for whatever reason, correct. right or wrong, they decided to protect their so culture. They, so, so, protected from what? But from, those, the, from the minority English-speaking in Quebec. Those laws impact on the Chinese community that within the Quebec society needs protection equally. Well, so, sure, anybody who's not French is going to be a victim of a, so, a pro-French so collective, law. you know, a natural collective like a Chinese community, I would say, has a right to speak out on its own behalf and, and tell the rest of, of society... This is what we want, and speak together yes, but that in one right, voice. It's that a collective right is right. an individual right no. expressed collectively. Okay, well, I want to let me interject just a second <laughs> here because I didn't raise this uh, as to whether that that collective should have the right to speak out. It's what they're speaking out for that concerns me. They are saying that because of we, because we are this particular collective, because we are Chinese, because there, and this was the phrase was used because there is a Chinatown in Montreal that if we are not allowed an exemption under this law, then you are unjustly persecuting us. They're not talking about the English who have made the same claim, and the claim has been denied in the courts of Quebec. Um, they're not talking about that. And my question was, you know, how do we balance their rights as a collective? I think, I'm sure Robert would agree with you, they have every right to speak out and say, we want this changed. But do they have a, do they have a right to expect it to happen, I guess is the question. Well, they have a right to, to be heard, and they have a right to convince, and they have a right to access the political process, and that's, but, but, that's what they're doing. But do. they don't have a right to put a sign on their, on their business and the language of their choice if the political process says they can't? 
Well, that's, yes, they don't, because they'll be fined and arrested or jailed or yeah, but whatever. Do you, do you agree with that morally? You think that's right? That they don't have a right? Yes. No, I don't. I mean, I'm saying, I'm just saying that uh, collective, there's a collective right. But that's right, a collective, that's a collective right, right that's being imposed upon them, preventing them from doing that. Wouldn't you well, agree? Well, we're talking about competing rights. Well, when you have collective again. rights, yes, you do have competing rights. When you have individual rights, you have no competing rights. Well, All you have is competing interests, and that, that no, is settled I think, by no, the right. I disagree. I think, I think if, my, if I'm living on a street, my neighbor's playing his radio at, at, uh, very loud and it's bothering me, mm -hmm. he's in, he has a right to play his radio. No question. Yes, but not but to bother I, you and your property because exactly. you have an individual right no, to your property. That's right. I have an individual right. So the collect so collectively we get together and we bring out a bylaw and the bylaw says that basically that you're not to disturb your neighbors with radios and that gives the police power so you know collectively see, we get there, together to protect there, there's, there's two what we believe are individual here. rights you're using the word collective in a metaphysical sense i'm using it in the political sense uh when when, when people in individually get together on a voluntary basis socially yes i would use the word that's a collective but when we're talking about collective rights within the sphere of politics and philosophy, it takes on an entirely different meaning. Collective right means a right enforced through government and through, through laws and through situations that have to, by definition, violate the individual rights that we have come to accept through our British common law heritage. So that whenever, wherever there is a collective right, you're going to find a conflict of rights. Absolutely. Yeah. But wherever there are individual rights, where the a Frenchman can speak French and an Englishman can speak English and the Chinaman can speak Chinese, there are no conflicts. Why would there be a conflict? Who, who's, who's, who's forcing anything on anybody? Conflict begins at the moment someone initiates force against someone. And when someone comes to your house and had, had, has the audacity to tell you that you can't speak a certain language in your home because he doesn't approve of it and he doesn't want his culture threatened, uh, I think that's, again, getting back to that situation where government just simply does not have the right to do that. Once the government's at that stage, you're already at a fascist stage of government. No, I That's think, what fascism I th is. I think fascism the, is, I think the is government control of private property. The government steps in, really, t to control individuals that are bullies and will take advantage of other individuals. If well, now you're talking about hand. people who are bullies, no, meaning they're yeah. using force well, and, and, and coercion yeah, against exactly. other people. But not just force. There are all kinds of ways of bullying people. Uh, you know, you can bully people through avarice. Like, if I take more than my fair share, then, then of I... Of what? Of, of whatever resources there are in the community. If I, well, if if I you somehow... Have, you can't, if you're I already somehow, giving me an unreal situation. I don't well, know. I know. Give, me, give me an example of what you would talk about. Well, I would say uh, if in our community one individual, say, purchased the entire taxi industry, and decided to put like we have here in the city. Well, <laughs> okay. No, there's yeah. there's a perfect example. And then, and then and then and then ran the industry in such a way that the the workers hardly got any money, and they made huge profits, and the fares were pretty high. You know, I mean, then we step in and so say, well, wait, you're, wait. You've, you've explained an unreal situation. Commercially, you're one individual coming in to buy no, a taxi industry. That means a taxi industry already existed. Well, no. Why would you're everyone being, sell to one person? Right I'm just away talking of, about you know the, the concept of the bully, the dominant force. The collective gets together. Bill Gates is who you're talking about. Well, maybe. Yeah, he could be a bully. He would be seen as a bully. I think in in the, well, in the business world, definitely. I'm sure. but, well, but he doesn't use force and his tactics. Them. His tactics, I think, are questioned. Definitely. I mean, his you know the whole 
monopoly issue and the whole way he markets and everything else is very questionable. And well, I think the business community what, what is very concerned about, about that kind of... Well, I know that he, he markets a package of, of things on his, on his computer and he, he basically um, is trying to dominate the internet system and everything else just through marketing techniques. He, you know, he's, he's created a monopoly. I think the business but, community but has itself he, but has recognizes he ever force the monopoly. Or has he ever said well, to his uh, competitors or gone to the government and said, you know, keep he, my competitors out of business? No, but he's used, you know, it's just the way he does business, and the business community is watching him and has concerns. But what I'm saying is... But you haven't is, said anything about the way he does business. You said he's successful wanna... marketing, which means people buy his product voluntarily. Uh, to me, that's the reason he's dominated the business, is because he's the first person to get to the marketplace to give the market the product well, I'm talking wanted. about creation of monopolies and then controlling those monopolies. Through, well, we created the monopoly, us buyers, the people well, who bought his product, and we all but what I'm to saying the one product. Is, I'm so using we're the him, monopoly. I'm using him, him in a, as an example. We can differ whether we think he's a bully or not. I'm saying that the collective decides collectively that they're going to prevent behaviors or prevent individuals taking advantage of the rest of the collective well, I think and dominating I think them and infringing, the on, their, You've infringing the on their rights. I disagree with you to, when you say that we can just, you know, haphazardly and, and no, arbitrarily haphazardly. decide whether Bill Gates is a bully or not. You can't. Before, well, don't you believe in a presumption of innocence? No, Doesn't I think, someone have to prove I think that he's a bully with Bill before Gates, society acts? With Bill Gates, the issue is, personally, he's probably a charming man. I'm not saying he is a bully. I'm well, saying... That's not even an issue. The business community has decided that they're, they're concerned about monopoly situations. And basically, well, it's not good well, for business. So collectively, they got together and created laws against monopolies. And, and, and well, the and government like created that. the laws. Well, the business community uh, lobbied right. the government, and the government did as it was bid and did that because correct. they listened to the business community. But was that a correct so, thing to do? Yes, it was. Because, I because basically... This is where the right and left agree and where I disagree totally. Well, what we need to do... Business protection what we need to do is 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 just recognize that collective rights are just an expression of everybody saying look these are things we want we want to tolerate these are things we can accept individualism is great but it can only go so far you're right to move your arm ends where my nose begins. It's a very simple concept. But that principle doesn't apply to anything you just said. Yes, it does. Where? Because the collective has got How together. How does Bill Gates If you hit my nose, me? if you I, hit I my up. nose negligently or with intent, but you're then talking you're about committing force. a crime. Yes, I agree. Or no, negligently, force. negligently. If, well, you're, negligently. if you're carelessly if walking down the street, swinging your arms, pretending to be a windmill. Which, which but we're not talking you, about that. We're talking about me walking down the street saying, Hey, mister, do you want to buy a Windows 95? No, you, That's I, what we're talking about. I used about. him you as an example, right and I, I know it's a pet pet thing if you're talking about business people. I don't want to well, get caught up in Bill Gates. No, I'm saying all. business doesn't have the right to go to government well, and ask for protection. I think you're it the does, one that agrees because it, it protects does. us all in the long run because okay. we need competition. Okay, Bob, put your headphones on if you would, guys. We've got a caller with us. And a reminder, too, the lines are always open here on left, right, and center. If you've got a question or a comment, we would like to hear from you. And we've got Jerry with us. Hi, Jerry. Hi. I, I'm a little concerned about how these people uh, are using this word monopoly. I'm going to use two examples. Uh, Jim Chapman uh, has a talk show. He gets on good topics. Uh, he gets things going. He gets good guests. He does book reports. He does this. He does that. So he has more people calling him than at other radio stations. Does that mean he has monopoly? No. In 1980, I started with an air filter company, which was the smallest air filter company in Ontario. 
when I was released from my services there a year ago, uh, with my work and other people's work, we became the largest air filter company in Canada. Uh, at that time, there was another company which had the word American in it. Uh, they were the biggest one. And I took on them nose-to-nose constantly. I gave good service, proper prices, and everything else. Then they started buying from me. So does that mean I monopolized them? If people buy off people and deal with people because they get service, they get prices, but mostly service. That is not monopolizing. That's earning it. That's my opinion. Thank you, Jerry. Appreciate it. Um, Just an interesting example there so let's let's say for example andrew that there was a, a talk show somewhere in a, in a market maybe a large market and uh, it was just so far ahead in popularity but everybody else is that problematic at all i mean is that moving towards a monopoly no that um it dep- you know if, if the talk show uh, you know was the only talk show in north america and uh, it just, you know, and it used, you know, if, if it's selling itself honestly and people want to listen because they're interested, that's great. That's not monopoly. I'm talking about situations where, where businesses uh, definitely do things that uh, close opportunities for other people. And uh, they do it by, you know, if, if you create software, then you can create software that will not run with other people's products. Mm-hmm. You know, things like that. And I think that's the sort of tactic that, that people like Mr. Gates use. So, uh, you know, nobody's arguing. You know, you know if, if Conrad Black owned every newspaper in, in, in Canada or Sun Media or whatever, then I would say that's a monopoly. We should have some concerns. I'm very worried about the concentration of media ownership. But, you know... As a society, we decide um, that those are not good things. You need you need to allow uh, other people to to get into the game. All right, let's go back to the phones. Caller Jim with us. Good morning, Jim. Good morning, Jim. Yes, Great sir. radio. Thank you. Um, just uh, just a personal, uh, just a comment. Um, you know, I think we all believe in individual rights, but society is better for collective rights. And you know, you look at uh, you know the handicap and accessibility to to buildings and parking spots. Uh, you know, by the theory of individual rights, uh, a shopkeeper can decide for themselves whether to provide access to a building. But collectively, they're legislated to do that. And, uh, you know, I'd just like to make that comment. I think we all instinctively believe in individual rights, but I'm not sure we'd want to live in a society of just individual rights. Any comments? Interesting thought. What do you think, Bob? Uh, well, I, I, Jim sees the idea right. He says that it should be the shopkeeper's uh, decision, and I have to agree with that. I mean, the issue is whose property is it and whose responsibility is it to pay for it, and can they afford it? Um, it's well and fine to impose things upon people, and then you get a certain class of people who can't afford this, but then there's going to be that class of people who can't. It's the very thing that'll put them out of business. But I know there's a, one of the arguments that's made, and let's use the disabled as an example. You can say, well, if this guy does not want to make his business accessible, the guy down the street will and take the business away. Well, what if he's the only guy in town with that business? Well... But I think, uh, yeah, I think if the marketplace or marketplace was much, much bigger, I'd subscribe to that. But the fact is, I, I think in a society, you have to provide certain levels of access. And, that, and this gets look, back look to at that. how the government provides it and how it enforces it. For example, here in London, we had the case of a chiropractor who was quite willing to visit the home of a person who couldn't climb the steps to, to his office. 
and yet the Ontario Human Rights Commission forces him to build a ramp up to his office. And I mean, this must have cost the poor man a fortune when he was perfectly willing to provide the service in the home. But the government just goes nuts with their regulations and implies it irrationally and in ways that, 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 that put tremendous burdens upon the business community and just drive up all our costs. There are other ways to accommodate these things, and I just don't believe in using force to solve an issue, no matter how noble the issue may be. Jim, I appreciate your call and comments today. Thank you. Thanks for joining us. And from Jim to Dave. Good morning, Dave. Morning, Jim. Yes, sir. I just wanted to talk uh, and touch back on the monopoly issue. Um, mm. Your guest, Andrew, isn't making any sense to me whatsoever. When he talked uh, a little bit of a reference of Bill Gates and uh, making software that will only run with other software that he makes, um, can you imagine... Uh, have you ever tried to take a Ford transmission and put it into a Chevy? Yeah, that's a, that's a good work. point. That's a good point. But the point is, I'm making is that uh, obviously, if you have a completely different product, but if you, if you're designing something like a telephone, and uh, say Bell Bell uh, has a telephone in it, they could design a system that wouldn't work with ATT, and they dominated the telephone market. You know, and and they said, well you know, we're not going to tolerate another long-distance company, so we make our technology so people can't use lo local and long-distance and use ATT, then uh, that would be a, 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 I would say, that would be a, a but not a good business. But does the consumer have a choice if he, if he likes the Bell product? No, what, what you're saying is Bell does local, and if, you know, if they have, you know, AT&T, obviously you get on AT&T through a local line, right? So if Bell's doing the local line and they put a system on there that prevents ATT, AT&T getting access to it, then AT&T is SOL. They can't, you well, know, and that's the that's type of thing like Bill a, Gates that, is that's doing. That's almost like Ford owns the highway and they don't allow Chevy cars onto the highway. Well, if uh, everybody did, has yeah. access to the highway, yeah. it's how you want to get onto it. Well, Bell owns the local delivery system for the phone phone system. So if Ford did own the highway and they, they banned Chevs from the highway, we'd be screaming, wouldn't we? But don't forget, Bell benefits from making deals with AT&T and a host of other companies by selling time to it at discount pro values, which is how the other companies compete. When you have this deregulatory system, you don't have to worry about people shutting people out. They want more people to participate all around all around the way. Uh, I'm sure Bill Gates wants to see more competition out there, and the fact that the market is responding to his products so overwhelmingly is not a consequence of some plot or tactic on his part. His, his only tactic was to make a product that people liked, and they bought it. Well, we could argue about that one until we're blue in the face. I, I think what I'm basically saying is that uh, well, the collective right has decided that monopolies are a bad thing in society. But there is no monopoly. There's only one institution in society that can possibly create a, a situation where a person is prohibited from entering a field of business, and that's the government. And it does it with every government business, from the post office to health care anymore. And these are monopolized areas, which I would agree are monopolies, but by virtue of government legislation. Any area that, as soon as you say the word private, private means it's not uh, monopolized or legislated by government and that the government's the referee. Dave, last word to you? I, I just uh, again would touch on that, that Andrew has sort of said a lot of things but he hasn't said anything. He never really gets into any specifics on anything. They're just all kind of um, little for instances or little references but I don't see any substance to them. Alright, appreciate your call, Thanks sir. So much. You want to respond to that at all, Andrew? Or? 
Well, you know, we're talking, you know, individual versus collective rights. It, it's a huge issue, and you want to go back to Plato and Aristotle. I mean, we can talk forever on, on very highly conceptual levels. It's very hard in this kind of situation where you're going to have an ongoing debate forever on this issue. You know, it, it's just one of those basic philosophical issues. Well, it is a debate that's been going since Plato and Aristotle, <laughs> and it's very real, I think, in our day-to-day -day life. I don't think it's just a, an abstract, non uh, non-issue. It affects everything we talk about in politics. Let's go back to the phones with caller Steve. Hello, Stephen. Hey, yeah. Um, one of your guests referred that the government would be the only uh, organization or only body to actually uh, create a monopoly. I would disagree with that. I think if you look at media today, there's a monopoly in various parts of the country. Conrad Black owns all the daily newspapers in three provinces alone. And it's funny, you, in Ontario and stuff funny like that. you say that, Steve, because I agree with you that the media is somewhat monopolized, but that's by virtue of the CRTC and government regulations. I, I Conrad agree. Black is not the monopoly part of the media. No, I agree that the CRTC has allowed that and stuff like that. But no, they haven't allowed not... it. They haven't allowed it. They've created it. There's no such thing. There's no free market in any business you can show me anywhere on the face of planet Earth where without government legislation a monopoly was ever created. You know, I used to believe that back in the 70s, and then someone challenged me to find an example, and I couldn't. Well, what, what is the government legislation that controls newspaper industry? There, uh, there isn't any specific no, exactly. government legislation, so how can you but there is direct how can you say How can you say that monopolies in, in the newspaper business are government-created? I didn't say there was a monopoly well, you, in the newspaper you, business. I don't believe there is. I said Conrad Black was not the monopoly issue. The issue is the CRTC and the regula regulation of radio and television in this country. Yeah, but they've allowed, the lack of regulation has allowed for areas of monopolization. Regional, take a look at London. Well, wait a minute, you're, you're, you're saying the lack of regulation allows a monopoly? I'm saying that the regulation creates a monopoly. The lack of regulation allows vertical and horizontal integration for companies. Do you know what I mean? Like, you're t you can take a company now, in this present day and age of globalization, can go from the production all the way up to, you can have a movie company that owns production rights of studios, the mm -hmm. timber that supplies the studios, everything. Why shouldn't, why shouldn't you be allowed to do that? Why shouldn't you be allowed to do it? Yeah, because for example, why shouldn't Bill, Bill Gates? He has he owns operating software. He owns operating software which fuels more than half of the computers, even a larger number than that, uh, throughout the world. That shuts out a lot of other operating systems like Apple and stuff like that. Well, one of our callers doesn't on that. shut them out. It doesn't shut them out. It's the consumer who's shutting them out. I'm on Windows whatever, but I'm not going to go to another system because no one's brought to me a system that can do something better for me at a cheaper price. That's, exactly. That's, he can provide a cheaper price. He's got, uh, he's got the means there because he owns so much of the market to provide a cheaper price, which allow, disallows other comp, uh, competitors to get in, no, the, well, in the first it, place. No, it doesn't disallow them. They're legally allowed to go They're into legally co competition. Allowed, but it, in theory, if you actually put it into practice, they can't get into it because well, they can't compete on the but market. But it's irrational for anyone to think that they can enter any market and compete with the top dog and think that you're going to compete no, that's with not, Bill that's Gates. that's irrational to expect people not to be able to compete with the top dog because people should be able to compete with the top dog on a fair and equal footing. Steve, and Jim here. And that's not in the best of the social, social collective. Okay, Jim here, I've got a question for you. What? I've got a question for you. And I, and I want you to think very carefully about it and be absolutely honest. Let's suppose you're Bill Gates. Yeah. You, Steve, are in Bill Gates' position. Mm-hmm. What do you think the government should do to you? To Steve, what should the government do to you? They should pose restrictions on how much, can be how much I can integrate and 
into different fields at this moment. And you, the you, computer and you would accept that? Yeah, but I'm not Bill Gates. I am me. Do you yeah. know what I mean? In Bill Gates' shoes, if I were Bill Gates, I kind of consider myself a little more philanthropic. So I think I would allow myself to be held back so that other competitors could gain uh, more footing on the industry so that more innovations could be made. It's more, it's it. more beneficial for everyone to be competing to bring more innovation out into the market. Well, Bill Gates is so terrified of, of potential monopoly laws that he's actually backing Apple. He's actually uh, he's actually putting money into an into a competitive operating system. Yeah, can you blame him? Well, the bully's no. coming around. The bully is the government. You know? No, the, well, the bully is the the individual who takes advantage of other individuals, and that's yeah. why we have collective rights. Well, there's a reason that the government is in charge of such things. Is because if they are taken out of the government's hands, the corporate and business enterprises. Look at the bottom dollar. The uh, governments are the only the government's the only organization, like in healthcare, that will actually work in a deficit to provide needed health. Oh my Where, God! Oh, geez, how could you say such a thing? Don't you realize how that deficit is going to destroy our healthcare system? I mean, to suggest that 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 it's a good thing for our healthcare system to be in a situation of debt is, is absurd. I'm I mean, not you saying can... it's good. I'm saying the government's the only organization that can operate in a deficit and allow the health care to remain. Well, no, it can't. Right. It can only do so for a short period of time. This is a myth that the government is exempt from market forces that you and, and no, I are exempt. subject to. No, it's not exempt. I'm not saying that. But if you take a private business, take the recent closure of the private school that like just happened this week. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, I know it's not a very good comparison, but it's the best comparison available at the moment. You know, if they can't afford to keep going as an educational institute. Well, how, can a private, how can a private school keep going when there's a government monopoly operating, competing with it, taking the taxes out of the same people who are customers going to the private school who cannot direct their taxes to that school of their choice? It's a wonder we have any private schools in this country. You know, the people who are doing that have to be extremely dedicated to their children. And I know a lot of them who are going into tremendous debt themselves, and it's their debt at their expense for their kids to put them into a private school. Well, maybe so, they should have their funding redirected back into the public system. Well, You're just making an argument for the private market versus the public no, system. No, I'm arguing for choice. The private market is you and me, Steve. The, the public system is the government and Joe Fontana and Sue Barnes and all the rest of them. They get to make the choices that you and I should be able to make daily. But well, all we the, get to the do The school is, system's a good example because collectively we got together as a society and decided we wanted to have education standards across the province, across the country. Uh, we wanted to make sure that uh, our kids were, were educated. That's now, you can, you can, complain, school system in you can complain about the Historically system, inaccurate. But, but in any event, uh, uh, if we decided we weren't going to just go with a private system. We, we recognize that if you allow people to choose where their education taxes go, education then you end started. up with a system that's unfair. You get very good schools in very wealthy neighborhoods. The rich people have the best schools. And the poor kids go to the, the worst schools. That's the socialist myth. No, it's Why the way it works. The way it works in England, it's the way it works in the U.S., it's the yeah. way it works in other countries. It's not a myth. Those There's are all models, models there that aren't working where, where low-income people's <laughs> kids basically don't get good education. So that's why the collectively we've got an ed we've decided to back public public education to prevent prevent people from taking money out of that system and choosing to send their kids to their elite schools. Steve, appreciate your call today, sir. Yep. Um, 
just about out of time in the program today. I'm going to ask, uh, maybe not for a summation because we've been all over the place here. That's for sure. <laughs> but uh, do we, if we come back to this issue of rights, well, hey, we haven't got time for it anyway. We'll, uh, we'll wrap this up next time, folks. Thank you for being part of the program. Andrew, thank you for sitting in for Jeff. Appreciate it. Always Thanks, nice Jim. to have you here. Thanks Robert, we'll see here. you next yep. week again. Always a pleasure. And we'll see you tomorrow on the next edition of Talk of the Town. I'm just not sure what's happening, but I know Tara's been busy putting together a good show for us. So uh, we'll enjoy it together tomorrow, shall we? So for Andrew and Robert and Tara...